It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Hey, welcome to L2L, Learning to Listen, the podcast. Um, yeah, we're talking about music and all the ways we listen to music. Uh, we're trying to engage with the music we listen to, and we're all about the lost art of engaged listening. So that's why we're talking about albums. That's right. We focus mostly on albums and consuming the album as a whole artistic statement, the way artists intended. So this is not a biography show. Uh, if that's what you're looking for, you are in the wrong place. I don't know. Try uh, the, A&E. Yeah, hey, there you try go. A&E. Try A&E in the 90s. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, instead, this is more of a pure... A visceral, guttural reaction to the music that we're uh, listening to. And of course, today uh, we're doing another episode of our Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time. <laughs> it did it again. Oh, damn. Stupid program. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. We're uh, we're recording this one a little bit earlier, and we're all musicians. We don't get out of bed that I early, couldn't even so. bo- be bothered to get dressed for this. <laughs> couldn't be bothered. I mean, I put my jeans on, that, but I'm not even wearing socks, so, you know, I feel I'm yeah. going right back to bed after this is over. <laughs> All right. Those undressed, disheveled, um, angry to be up at 11 o'clock in the morning people <laughs> are, uh, you got Charlie Scream over there. Charlie Scream. Whoa, what a party. <laughs> Sorry, is that um, too much? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're too much as a human being. That's the problem. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Over there, making out with all the boys. Mm. It's uh, Naomi Carmack. Naomi, how's it going? I'm raw. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Damn. Double vaxxed and ready to smash. <laughs> well, that's how she gets a scratchy throat, boys. Mm. Yep. It's your fault. Okay, so like I said, we're doing the Rolling Stone 100 Greatest Albums of All Time. Well, based on the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Um, And today's episode is all about Metallica's Master of Puppets uh, coming in at... What did it come in at, guys? It came in at... Where are we? 96? 97? Definitely still in the 90s. It's 97. 97. Oh, 97, yeah. Yeah, um, so this list was, uh, this is based on a 2012 list that was amended in 2020, uh, so yeah, I don't know where Master Puppets was previous to that, but it's now at 97, Let me have a so look. what do you guys know about Master Puppets? Maybe I should tell y'all a little bit about it. Master Puppets is the third studio album by American heavy metal band Metallica, released on March 3rd, 1986 by Elektra Records, recorded in Denmark at Sweet Silence Studios with producer Fleming Ras Musan. It was the band's last album to feature bassist Cliff Burton, who died in a bus accident in Sweden during the album's promotional tour. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The legend of Cliff Burton. I never knew how he died. Oh, well, we can get into it, but uh, before we do that, uh, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Guys, uh, that's where you can help us out quite a bit. If you like anything we're doing, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, go over there and uh, see how you can help us out. Throw us a few bucks and tell you what, you scratch our backs, we scratch yours. There's all kinds of uh, bonus material. Episodes go up early. Um, Yeah, you'll just, you get to know what's my favorite 
pop-up ghost chicken. Yeah, what's his favorite <laughs> pop-up ghost chicken? Yeah, yeah. Patreon.com slash learning to listen. Okay, so well, here I can I can tell you a little something, a little tidbit first. Mm-hmm. So this was on the in the 2012 uh, version of the book that I have, and it's made a massive jump in the new one. It, it in uh, 2012 it it came in at 167. Okay, so not quite the jump that something like um, Car Wheels made. Oh, that's true. How how big how big was that jump again? I we I can't remember. We did the math, but it was a it was a few hundred spot right. jump, right? Where this is like you know this is in the tens. But it's already still. had a, a pretty formative spot, you know. Cool. Okay, so yeah, you know I'm going to ask you guys this question, and uh, I'm sh- pretty sure I know the answer. But uh, yeah, before the assignment came up to listen to Master Puppets, how aware of the album were you, Charlie? Definitely aware. I've heard it. It's I enjoy it. Yeah, very aware. It. Naomi, pretty aware. Yeah, yeah. I think we I were mean, all very aware, right? It like, yeah, kind of hard not to be aware of Metallica. They are one of the at this point one of the biggest bands uh, in the world. <laughs> like yeah. they sell they sell out huge stadium tours worldwide, everywhere. Uh, you know, they've broken attendance records. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so at this point, we're pretty aware of the band and their catalog, especially their commercially successful catalog, probably up through most of the nineties. Now we had the misfortune. Or, the I don't un-pleasure. know the unpleasure, the non-pleasure of having to listen to uh, um, Saint, Saint Anger. Anger. Yeah, Saint Anger uh, me. And so, you know, our latest impression of Metallica, unless you guys have been listening to any of the releases since, was that album. And I've got to say that. It was a real breath of fresh air to like get to like listen to this one again, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, other than being aware of the album, like how much have you guys listened to this album in the past? You know, or is this your first listen through? I mean, I've definitely listened to it in the past. Maybe not as much as something like say "Kill 'Em All." "Kill 'Em All" is probably the album I've listened to the most. Uh, okay. But their older catalog, their older uh, catalog is 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 pretty minty, pretty pretty great, it's pretty holds up. Um, but this one I've listened to for sure, uh, like the full way through before. Um, and you know what? I had forgotten because of the whole Saint Anger debacle. <laughs> why I liked these albums, you know, cause I, it was just overshadowed by the most recent unfortunate experience that we've had. So, so I'm definitely happy to go and re-listen to something and be like, oh yeah, that's why we're, they're one of the biggest <laughs> bands ever. Right. Um, Naomi, is this is this uh, one of your first listen-throughs or have, were, are you pretty familiar with it? <clears throat> um, I'm familiar with probably about half the songs. Uh, I definitely have heard it many times before because, um, well, I used to have an ex-boyfriend who was a huge Metallica fan, so he played this all the time. But to me, like all the older Metallica songs from all the older albums kind of all blended in together. So I wasn't really sure which songs were on which album. Which albums, yeah. I could I can see that a little bit. Um Yeah. And I mean a lot of these ones too, I have also heard there's been a, at least a couple of them that were on the S and M album. Right. Right. Which I really like. I, I agree with that. That's a great album. Okay, well, yeah, interesting, guys, because this is what I noticed through this listen through. Like, yes, absolutely, 100%. At some point through, you know, probably even within recent years, there's been a point or two where I've probably put this whole album on. 
mm-hmm. at, at, you know, for whatever reason. Like I, the the most, re- there's a few versions of this uh, streaming. Like my copy of this album was on a cassette, mm-hmm. <laughs> which nice. is missing the jacket cover. You know, I think I still have it. Uh, I think the the label is like worn off, right? Like this is something that like, you know, uh, was me and my friends would hang out and play video games and throw this in our cassette deck, right? Like, yeah. So there was definitely a point where I was more or less familiar with the uh, with the track list. But like you said, over the years is like you know just playlists and streaming and other like you know collections like an SM album came out or whatever. Yeah, I kind of forgot the specific track listing of this album, like. Other than the fact that, you know, the album is named after the title track, Master of Puppets, I wouldn't always remember in these, like, the first, you know, like, especially between this album and um, and Justice for All, mm-hmm. right? Because the production is a little more similar on those two records. You know, it'd be like, is Orion on Master of Puppets or is that on Injustice? You know, you like, you know that... Uh, like like uh, seek and destroy is on kill them all right right for sure you're like okay it sounds like it is it's like you know that's when they were still on an independent label that's like it's got the production of that that's like Lars's drums sound like cardboard boxes you know <laughs> like um, but there's a few versions of all of their albums out on streaming now because they've gone back and remastered these handfuls of times and like I found two different versions of this remastered on Spotify which I decided to listen to it on. And I went with the earlier one, and I'm not totally sure what year that remaster is from. I think it's like a mid 2000s remaster, um, and you know, it, it, it sounds it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds mm. really good. Um, and then really listening to it, you know, intent like with intention, like I am now. I, I would say out of the first three to four albums, uh, production wise, it's leaps and bounds above like Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. Mm. Like it, yep. it stands out, and now that I've really sat down and intentionally listened to it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a different album than those other two or three albums. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess like realizing that this is a co- this collection of songs that stand out from the other uh, uh, the other albums of this era, like. Um, I don't know. Did you guys notice that? Like that there's a, did you find there was a cohesiveness to this or do you find it still blended into that larger catalog? Um, I can kind of see both. Like, I mean, it still just straight up sounds like Metallica. Um, but there's a bit more of like with, within the songs themselves, like layering, I find. In the, with this and like more of a gentle touch kind of thing, even though it is still thrash, right? But like mm-hmm. a little bit more, I don't know, what's the word? Defined. Yeah, maybe more defined, maybe more uh, massaged out so that it's more prevalent. Yeah, I think what you were hearing on this record that we didn't hear on the first two. Now, this is the second record that um, was produced by, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fleming, right? Um, mm. Rouse Moosen or whatever, or Rouse Mussen. Rouse Moosen. Rasmussen. Um, this is the second one, right? But here's the thing. Between the first two albums, Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning, those came out less than a year apart. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about an era where right before, you know, uh, they, they, they started to get picked up and signed and build up steam. You know, they had just recently parted ways with Dave Mustaine and brought Kirk Hammett on. Mm-hmm. And I think that the biggest difference that I noticed is with those first two albums is that you still have a lot of that early, you know, punk rock kind of thrash sound. 
a lot of the Dave Mustaine influence is still there. Mm. He probably had a hand in writing some of those songs. And then, then as you go into Ride the Lightning, I think there is a, a transition into, like when you have like songs like Call of Cthulhu and stuff like that, right? Going into, you, I think you start to hear the Kirk Hammett influence come in. Right. And I think that Kirk Hammett influence really solidifies on Master of Puppets. And I think one of the biggest differences too is, yes, this album is a lot more methodically thought out. Mm-hmm. It's thought out as an album. It, it's almost, in a weird way, um, uh, a concept record, you know? Like, it has a clear direction. Like, Metallica is always one of those bands that kind of strayed from the path of, of like, what metal was at that point. You know, metal, metal had a lot of, like, dark imagery, of course. It always did, you know, going back to the 60s and Black Sabbath and stuff like that. But at this point, too, you know, if you were to name, like, a big, like, popular metal band... It's like there's only two things you were thinking. You were either thinking like the kind of new wave of British metal. You were thinking Priest and you were thinking like Iron Maiden and stuff like that, right? And, you know, the bands that were in that scene. Mm-hmm. Or you're thinking hair metal. Right. Right? You're thinking the L.A. scene. That was like, which was really blown up at this point too. These guys were neither of those, man. Mm-hmm. This is something completely different. And they really started to show that on those first couple records. Not that there weren't other, like, you know, like uh, thrash bands around at the time. You know, bands like uh, Anthrax and stuff like that were being established at this point. Even Slayer, right? As far yeah. back as then. Like the big four that kind of came out of that scene were mm-hmm. all getting their start at this time. But I think Metallica was the first band that really started to get people's attention that, like, these guys aren't singing about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these guys are singing about real shit. And this album. Other than the thing that that shouldn't be, which does t- touch on Lovecraftian horror, but like, not in this like fantasy way, in this like mm-hmm. things that creep around in the dark, you know, like that haunt you at night, like way, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, like thematically, this album is very real, man. Like it's about real stuff. It's about real problems. It's about like real life, you know. It's all about drugs, isn't it? Well, yeah, I I don't know it, it because. They've said that it's about drugs, but I don't know if they mean the song Master of Puppets is about drugs or the whole album's about drugs. But definitely the album, I would say, like, normally we get into this later, but I think it's a good spot to talk about it. This whole album, I think, is about manipulation, right? It's about being manipulated, manipulating yourself, manipulating others, mm-hmm. you know, manipulating people into dire situations. Obviously, they doc- talk about death. They, you know, they talk about there's definitely references to drug use. They claim that that's what Master of Puppets is about, but there's even uh, Leper Messiah is all about like televangelists, right? Right? You know, it's like I would imagine that if you're the kind of kid <laughs> who's like Iron Maiden's a little too over the top, and I just don't want to put spandex and hairspray on, you know, where are the t-shirt and jeans guys? <laughs> right? Where's like where's my like shitty headbanger friends hanging at the mall like wearing like you know like Exodus t-shirts? This is your band, right? Right. Like, put it in the context of the '80s, and and imagine, you know, this like there's like Black Album has never come out. Like Bob Rock has never had like anything to do with Metallica. You load never came out. You know, we never get to. We never get we to never Saint get Anger. to Saint Anger, right? <laughs> you know, say Cliff Burton dies, which he did, and Metallica never makes another record. I think this is it. This is the Metallica record. The, the peak. I think if you want, yeah, this is peak Metallica mm-hmm, for sure. What about Justice? Well, 
Yes, but it, Justice is missing all the carry. Here, so here's the controversy with Justice. And why don't we talk about uh, the Cliff Burton thing a little bit here? Okay. So here's what, what I, as a kid, I kind of came into Metallica with Injustice for All. Mm-hmm. One was probably the first Metallica song that like I heard, but it, that's also a big shift for Metallica because mm-hmm. before that they were these hardcore like headbanger kids. Like man, you look at their promo shots from like their first couple of records, and even in this one, you'll find like, oh man, they're they've got zits. Mm-hmm. They're skinny, gangly kids. Yeah. They're just in ripped jeans and and worn out t shirts. You know, like they're wearing Chuck Taylors like they they're just skids you know like um but part of what made them really cool was that they knew they weren't gonna get played on the radio they didn't care about the radio they didn't make songs for the radio and they didn't make videos yeah they refused to make videos they said fuck mtv we don't want to make videos and i wonder sometimes if a lot of that had to do with cliff burton because once cliff burton was out of the picture all of a sudden they're like Let's let's lean into the melodic stuff. Let's make a couple of videos. Let's you know see where that goes, mm-hmm. and then that eventually gets you the black album. So I remember you know people these days talk about the the it's the first four Metallica sold out after that, but I'll bet you when Injustice came out, I'll bet you there was a lot of their fans at that point who were like, you know what, fuck Metallica, they sold out. They're making videos. <laughs> well, that's yeah. So what was one the first video? Yes. Yeah, yeah first video they ever made and yeah. even in that their compromise was that most of the video is clips from uh, a movie version of johnny got his gun yeah right where they're like okay we'll do shots of the band headbanging their hairs in their face they don't really show much and then it just constantly goes to clips from you know the movie and mm-hmm. the movie they even uh bed down the music so that the narr the narrative uh the, the like the you know the guy yeah. talking in the movie. Yeah. Uh, oh. I guess he's doing narration. Yeah. It comes up and takes... So that, that was them being like, we'll kind of make a video. It's right. a psychologically right. disturbing video. For sure. It's very cool. But you know what? It, it got a ton of play on MTV. It got a ton yeah. of play here in Canada on Much Music. And I don't know how old I was when that came out, but I was probably grade three or grade four, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I saw it a bunch when I was a kid. And yeah, it blew my mind. So that's my introduction to, so that is my Metallica. So Metallica, like I remember Black Album, obviously, like Enter Sandman really, really, really hitting. Mm-hmm. And it was probably around that time that I was getting old enough to like start digging through like my older cousin's like, you know, tapes and stuff like that, right? <laughs> cool. And I remember having an older cousin who was like, fuck Metallica, <laughs> you know? And then we're talking about Black Album era, right? Mm-hmm. Like those guys are totally sold out. And listening to this, I, I get it. You yeah, know? no, for sure. It's it's you can definitely see the transition and you know the evolution, uh, as it were. I mean, I definitely came to Metallica. I mean, the Black Album was probably the first album I heard of theirs, and then I worked my way backwards. Um, so I, you get a different you get a different scope of view of things, right? Because mm-hmm. you start with the somewhat end pro- end product at the time before their future evolutions. And then you're like, okay, well, I see how they kind of got to hear from there, but I didn't have the built-up love for the previous things beforehand for, mm. to make me think that the Black al- Album totally make it was a sellout, right? I was just like, okay, I see how this went. Right? Yeah, so. 
I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. I didn't really hear like I, we had we had some garage bands in the town, you know, where people these guys would play a bunch of Metallica songs way back in the day before the Black Album. So I'd heard some of that stuff, but that's about it. And then my actual introduction to Metallica was the Black Album. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't really have anything to base it on. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe when I would hear my like cousin and you know older friends and stuff like that say things like that because to me I was like, what are you talking about? One is the heaviest thing I'd ever heard at that point, right? <laughs> you know, and then the Black Album just was, you know, sonically a little more in line with, like, you know, the production of the era, like the top-line production of the era. It, so it sounded good. It sounded good on the radio. It Thanks, sounded Bob good Rock. Yeah. yeah, and it was, you know, digestible three-and-a-half to five-minute songs. Mm. So, you know, as a, as a you know, not as nearly discerning where I was just happy to hear like something that sounded like that on the radio. Right. You know, that's one thing that surprised me about this album was that it was only eight tracks, but they're long. Right. Uh, not only are they long, but you know, here's the thing. This album still comes in what around somewhere 40 ish to 50 minutes. Mm. It's a perfect length album. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I listened to it twice this morning. <laughs> right like because i put it on and i was like oh fuck it i got time i'll listen to it again um battery sounds like more than one song to me a lot of the songs do oh, right <laughs> even master of puppets has a point where they go into a bridge where uh you know there's a vocal james hetfield yells master 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 and i was like man you know you could edit that and you if you faded right off of that that's a single that's a song yeah. Yeah. that's a single but then it goes into a lengthy, and this is, I think, where the Kirk Hammett like influence starts to come in a lot. It goes into this lengthy, you know, uh, halftime thing where they start playing with this kind of almost uh, like almost Spanish influenced, um, like Latino kind of or uh, influenced. Uh, like, what do you call that? Um, there's a word for it, modelo or whatever part, right? Like, you know, it it it. I would say it almost goes ballady, except that nobody's singing anything but like <laughs> you know it, but it's a respite from from the barrage of the other parts of the album and they do it a couple of times they do it uh they do it again in um um welcome home right mm-hmm. sanitarium and they do it in orion which is the instrumental mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like you have these like you know almost it's weird to use the word respite because it's like respite it's almost means like okay you get to take a break catch your breath you know like uh, like is you know but like it's true man like the 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 metal on this album is so unrelenting the riffs are so unrelenting it's just so tight and just so fast mm. and then all of a sudden they show you by the way like here's the melody here's like you know here's melody here's yeah. here's a here's like classically influenced you know almost flamenco part the whole album starts with that too, right? With like a with a very Spanish yep. influenced guitar sound. True. Oh, then, I love that! I love that. And and sound. yeah, and it's a brilliant way to set the whole record up, right? Because it it only lasts for you know a few a few bars, and then bang, 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 you know, and it's like back into it, yeah. There, well, but they did did. Oh man, it it just it just sets you up for what the whole album is going to be. Perfectly, mm-hmm. right? Perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of got away from it, but uh, we were talking about, you know, once Cliff was out of the band, the band became a different band, right? Mm. And so for anybody who doesn't know, but I think most people know the story, but Naomi, you were saying you were unaware of what happened with Cliff was. Yeah. 
So Cliff was, uh, you know, he had a big influence on the songwriting of Metallica, it seems like, too, right? You know, and um, and I think, you know, from what I did read when I was reading, doing research for this, is that a lot of reporters and, and people who were in their circles around the time said that, that Cliff was the guy who kind of kept Lars, especially, because Lars is more the band leader at this point than, uh, than Hetfield was. Mm-hmm. Hetfield's the singer. But Lars was the like ego, like dr- driven force, like the mouthpiece. Yeah, let's. Yeah, he did every interview. You know, he did, and they weren't getting. Man, they got zero media attention on the first two records. Zero. The only people talking about them were like fanzines or like underground magazines. But as far as like Rolling Stone, Enemy, like you know, all of those kind of publications, nobody would touch them. Didn't matter how many records they were selling. Didn't matter how popular they were. Didn't matter if they were getting big name tour like like uh, supporting spots. They didn't get any. But if they did, it was always Lars. <laughs> right? Yeah. But everybody said Cliff would be the one. He'd be the one that'd be like, yeah, fuck him, fuck the radio, fuck the magazines, you know, fuck MTV. Like we're doing what we're doing, and we're getting to go and open for Ozzy Osbourne. We're doing what we're mm-hmm. doing. And, you know, like in certain markets, we're starting to sell theaters and, and, and even like even bigger venues, like stuff like that. So what we're doing is working. So why don't we keep just being us and like really leaned into us? You know, like Cliff was the guy who did not give a fuck. He just wanted <laughs> to make Metallica music. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, what happened was after they released this record and because, you know, they're their first biggest audience was in the UK, right? The, there was a, a a UK audience for metal. So their big first tour was a headlining tour. So they had supported Ozzy Osbourne, but now to headline, they were going to Europe. So they started in the UK and then they were going into Europe. And in Sweden, I believe while they were on their way uh, to Copenhagen, on the highway, their bus turned over. Oh. And Cliff was trapped inside shit was everybody on the same bus yeah yeah they were on the bus uh but the other three managed to uh like (sighs) escape so cliff was still in the bus and uh you know like there's a reports kind of vary on you know if if uh he being trapped in the bus was you know still alive or could have been uh recovered or saved or whatever but what happened is that then as they were trying to lift the bus to be able to get to him, the 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 crane or whatever they were using uh, gave, and the bus crashed down again. And if he hadn't been dead the first time, he was definitely dead the second time. So, uh, oh, very wow. unfortunate. So imagine being that band where this is the guy in the band that, and everybody really, 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 really respected Cliff. Mm-hmm. From all reports, like the other guys in the band almost like looked up to him, you know, as like mm. this weird, I don't know, not father figure, but you know, like, like they really just like his input really mattered to the guys mm-hmm. in the band, right? Like what he said about their music really mattered to mattered to them. Cause probably partially because he was the guy that if they were frustrated and going like, man, we don't get any interviews and Rolling Stone won't like talk to us or whatever. And he's like, fuck Rolling Stone. We don't need it. <laughs> right. Like he was that guy in the band. <clears throat> um, Anyway, so yeah, that obviously took a lot of wind out of their sails, and then the subsequent Metallica, the Metallica you get from Injustice on, on you know, and where like poor Jason Newstead, who came into the band after that, 
you know, I, you kind of understand where the tension in the band with him came from is because, and I remember listening to interviews and stuff with them in the nineties. And if Jason was in the room with them, they only ever ripped on him, <laughs> you know, like they would he just get a friend. Yeah. They were like, you know, they, I think they thought they were just busting balls and, you know, cause he was like the new kid and they were just like, you know, everybody's got to like earn their stripes, so to speak. But I don't think yeah. they ever let up. Right. Well, you know, the, you know, the saying about, you know, every group has that friend that you, that you always rip on. And if your group doesn't have that friend, then I guess that means that you're that friend. That you're that friend. Yeah. <laughs> but then everybody knows the notorious story of that, you know, the bass is essentially mixed out of Injustice for All. Yeah. You know, like there's bass on it. But the thing is, because of, you know, the Metallica style of like everybody like, like really riffing in synchronicity. And they just mix out the low end. You you can barely hear it. It just sounds like part of the guitar, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. maybe there's a little intention to that, but there's some stories about Lars coming in as they were mixing the album and listening to the final mixes and telling the uh, the the guys, the engineers. I cannot remember the name of the guy who who told the story about how Lars just came in one day and just said like, "Take that bass out," <laughs> and that that they were like, "It's going to master like tonight," <laughs> and he was like. You know, but they were like, I guess we got to listen to Lars, right? Right. And it, and it was gone. And it's, it's you know, it's been notorious for that ever since. And that was Jason filling in, you know, like uh, for Cliff. And that's how he, he started his life in the band. So um, I just guess he just couldn't hang out in Cliff's shadow, right? Like the guys just never saw him as, you know, a, a true replacement for Cliff. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I think that's part of also the legacy of Metallica. And that's why I was saying earlier, like, but here's the thing. Imagine that they were like, well, you know, like, like Led Zeppelin called it quits when John Bonham died. Imagine if Metallica had said, well, without Cliff, there's no Metallica. And that's it. You have these three albums and this is their final album. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hard to imagine if Metallica hadn't had anything after that. Really hard to imagine. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but I, I think like this album almost alone kind of sets the tone for this style of metal until mm -hmm. like for almost to this day, right? Not just defining like thrash metal, but like that metal, like I was saying, that isn't your, your, uh, your like overly like, like it's progressive in its ways. Like there's a ton of parts, you know, there's breakdowns, but that thing that isn't glam, isn't hair metal, isn't that L.A. scene, you know, the thing that isn't that over-the-top, like, British, you know, and Euro metal, like, you know, singing about, like, dragons and shit and, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and, like, and I, I've got, I've got love for all of that, you know, like, this is its, this is its own kind of category. Now, I mean, there are other bands that definitely were contemporaries of Metallica and, and were similarly, had similar aesthetics or whatever, but... As far as a band that broke into the mainstream with this kind of sound, like mm. I think these guys, for most people, define that sound, right? At least this album does. Yeah, I think so. I, I can agree with that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like, like the production on this one is pretty cool. Now, I, I, I don't have, I haven't had a chance to listen back to an earlier copy of it. Like I said, I listened to a remastered copy. You don't still have your tape? 
I, I might I think it's in my pile of tapes that I gotta go through. Like I said, they're just like they're all missing their jackets and stuff like that <laughs> and like half the labels are rubbed off and that seems like the ultimate way to listen to old Metallica, right? It's gotta yeah. be on a tape. So I I'm, I'm thinking mm. about digging it up, but I don't have a good tape player right, right now, like a cassette player right now. But like I don't That's know That's usually the problem now is <laughs> no one has anything to play them on. But yeah, but that but the thing is is okay, so the criticism of it, even in this era of Metallica, um, was that like I think people have said that the thing with uh, uh, these like the two albums or I guess maybe the three albums uh, with Fleming producing them is that he wasn't so much a producer as he was a fan. Mm. So he just let them do whatever they wanted in the studio. He just facilitated it for them. Oh yeah, mm. you guys are great. Keep going. And then now listening to these remastered versions now, it's hard to think. But like, but you know, people have criticized uh the way out like old like you know the first like three or four records sound like you know that like Lars's drums sound like flat like cardboard oh yeah they and, sound like crap <laughs> yeah and like maybe the distortion can be a little on the tinny side sometimes hmm? yeah yeah, yeah so i, I don't know like when you guys were listening now you were probably listening to like something similar to what I was listening to, right? Like a I was listening remaster. to the remastered. Yeah. 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 So it's so hard to comment on that, but I, 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 I wish I, uh, I had a copy that I could listen to an well, old copy, but I've always hesitated to grab because, you know, like I would, I would totally get this album on vinyl, except that if I got like an old original copy, you know, everybody told, tells me like, ah, they all sound like shit. <laughs> right like the songs are there the music's there but like fidelity wise they sound like shit mm. um so i've been always been hesitant and then i know they just put out these uh these remastered versions on vinyl but fucking metallica pulled the metallica and they made them exclusive to walmart <laughs> in the united states <laughs> so now i have to fucking support walmart to to buy them or i have to go and get them secondhand off of discogs or something with yeah. you know will it be marked up like yeah well not even you not even that you have to go support walmart but you have to support walmart in the states like i don't know that they ever made it to canada no they weren't available in canada i looked into it so you're going on a road trip buddy yeah i guess it just know. seems like such a turnabout hey from going <laughs> to like from fuck mtv to make, exclusive I mean, in walmart yeah yeah <laughs> wow it blows my mind yeah just think about like yeah like that's oh, man the legacy that's why i'm like what if it ended right here mm -hmm. i think you you have this is the this is probably the perfect metallic album because it's 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 everything that they're that their fans the before this point the kid the people who knew about them as they were coming up and putting out demo tapes and stuff like that loved about them right and you think every... it should have ended there ah that's hard to say right because did, do they go on to be the biggest band in the world if it ends here i think they need i think they need a, a black album to really you know really cross over mm -hmm. yeah because it started here this album broke the top 30 for album sales but of course none of the songs charted in like any top 40 markets or anything like that right like uh, I think they hit 29, number 29. Like they sold, uh, I think at some point they sold like, I don't know how many initially they sold, but they sold like 6 million copies of this album. Like at uh, by some point in whatever, you know, like it was, it, it's it's one of the biggest selling metal albums of its era for sure. I'm trying to see if I can look up these stats. Uh, it's highly rated. Like, you know, all of a sudden all these uh, publications that would not touch them, wouldn't review their albums, wouldn't, wouldn't interview them 
mm-hmm. where where all of a sudden critics were like, oh shit, we actually better pay attention. <laughs> you know, we've been sleeping on these guys. Let's get them in here. Hmm. Um. Yeah, totally. Uh, it this is this is this is what made Metallica like you people who would not have heard of Metallica. This is what made them hear of Metallica, right? Mm. But I think it took a couple more records, especially the Black Album, where it was more commercially viable. Right. You know, it was it was radio friendly. It was still the heaviest thing on the radio when it came out. Right. It wasn't the heaviest thing Metallica had ever done. I would say this is much heavier than Andrew Sandman. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that there isn't stuff on the Black Album that isn't, but you know. Like I think eventually didn't the black album eventually have something like five singles on it over time? I mean also Easily. because it took so long for them to release load. Mm, like right. took something like six years or something like that for them to put load out. And the black album continued to be on like the um the charts, the billboard charts for actual sales mm-hmm. and be like number one for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember watching Metallica. I remember trying to explain Metallica to my parents when they performed, uh, um, uh, um, what what is that song called? Wherever I may roam or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I I love that song. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Trying to explain the, my my explanation, you know, my dad going, I can't believe they're playing this shit on TV or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but dad, this is basically like the heavy metal version of I've been everywhere, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember, do you remember James Hetfield's uh like almost mullet in that era? He Vaguely. had the he had yeah. the long hair, but he almost it almost cuz he he brushed it back from the front, but he almost had a little pompadour oh. up front from, and he had from the, the black sh- era. Front, he had the shaved he had the shaved uh sides. Here, no, after that, after that, after that, that, after that, no, 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 this was, yeah, this I was, remember it. I can picture it. And Kirk Hammett would put his hair in a ponytail and he'd leave that one swoopy bit down in front of his face. <laughs> like there was a hint in that era that these guys were going to go at haircuts. <laughs> they're, 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 they're working their way towards it. They're yeah. slowly creeping towards a haircut. They're yeah. like, guys, I'm tired of all the shampooing conditioning. I, we are going I'm through just, so much product, you guys. Well, Time to take it out. They, take it down. I mean, it's so funny to see these guys. You look in the like doing research for this, and I'm looking at promotional stuff from this era, and they're still in like worn out t-shirts and like ripped jeans and Chuck Taylors, and even on stage, they're they're pretty much mostly dressed like that, you know. Uh, you know, like they're they're just going like shirtless and stuff on stage because they're just you know like running around and playing like so fast and hard. And then you look at footage from just a few years later and you're like, oh, J- James seems to be using quite a bit of product in his hair all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> got a stylist. Yeah. I think the photo shoots just for doing the Load album were like, who are these guys? Yeah. Like yeah. they were dressed in like suits and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, okay. So I, I, I'll get you guys' opinion on this. But yeah, I think that we did need a couple more Metallica albums just to give this album more context. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like about where it stands in, in their catalog and their legacy. Um, you know, but if they had called it quits after the black album, I think we'd probably all be a little happier. I mean, that would be all right. <laughs> because I mean, the output in the nineties is where they really went astray, you know? Ah, uh, that's only a matter of opinion. Well, yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, here's I the probably thing wouldn't is- be a Metallica fan if it weren't for those albums. 
Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, that's but they did lean into the commercial side of things even more so yeah. after the Black Album, right? Load and Yeah. And Reload less so. Reload is mostly albums that hit the cutting room floor from the load sessions. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like looking back and realizing, especially now with this contest, just or context, just how commercial a song like King Nothing is. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, sure. And also um the the change in in James Hetfield's voice, right? Like this whole album, he's singing in a much higher register. You Master know? of Puppets, yeah, yeah, um, and I mean that might just have something to do with youth, and also if you're going to go on yeah. tour and growl these songs out every night, right? Like sure. yeah, that's going to have an effect on your vocal cords, right? Youth, uh, vocal abuse, alcoholism, yeah, etc. But he seems to have kind of found a, a way to like where he just growls more when he sings now, right? Like he he just does the like, hey, I'm just <laughs> pushing out a crunchy, <laughs> <laughs> like is kind of his new thing here. Where I'm like, okay, now speaking of vocals, it's not like this is an, a vocally focused album, mm-hmm. but you know it, it's. There, there, there's a quality to his voice in this register that I think really works. I think better than him doing the growly vocals later on. Right. Because when it does come in, it cuts through like that, just that heavy distortion of the guitars, you know, and and drums and whatever else. Um, it's not hard to focus on his voice. You know, it's easy to understand the lyrics. Yeah, totally for sure. Right. I've heard a lot of metal there. I have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, whether they're growling or you know, whatever. I mean, it's not. It's no Bruce Dickinson or um, um, uh, what's his face from Judas Priest. Uh, Rob Halford. Rob Hall. It's no. You know, where they're going into the upper ranges of like the human potential to sing, right? Like, yeah. They're 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 practically operatic in their ability to like you know they're the Mariah Careys of metal, <laughs> you know, but. It's not, it, you know, it, it's not on that level. This is like a vocal that's like an achievable vocal for like a garage band, you know, to like go and yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, um, I think it works in the right. context of the music. I think right. it, it really works really well. I mean, I don't know. It's there's the odd kind of not a harmony so much, but there's a few backing vocals on here, here and there, and I'm pretty sure most of it is uh is just James like doubling up his vocal or whatever, right? Like. But it's usually almost used for effect. It's never used to be like, here's a harmony or here, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I just, just, we just need this one to sound a little bit bigger. And sure. that would be kind of the trick. Throw, throw a little more echo on, on him doubling up a vocal and then you've got a bigger vocal. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Like, you know, uh, James Hetfield, does he win any awards for, for being a lead singer? Well, I mean, <clears throat> There's a thing with some metal that loses me. Like I like a good chunk of metal, but there is the screamiest side of le- of metal, which kind of loses me because I do at least like to be able to figure out what you hear what they're saying and not have to like, you know, just like read it in the liner notes or something like that. Right. And mm-hmm. this is definitely outside of that. So, I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily winning any big awards or anything, but I think it's a solid, it's a, a solid approach. It's a solid style. You know, like it, it definitely works. Yeah, I got to agree with you. Um, one of the things that turns me off from whether it's like older metal like this or even like the newer like screamo stuff, I can't handle it. 
Like, I, I don't want this shit screamed at me. Like, I want to be able to understand what your what your message is. And uh, I think that it was fantastic, actually. I, I like, I've always liked his vocal, whether it was like, you know, a little bit more weathered later on or uh, example of this, how he's got that higher range. I think it sounds good. Yeah, I, I I I enjoyed it. I was like, I think this is this is where his voice has probably sounded some of the best, right? Mm -hmm. I think this era too, where he he's kind of maybe started to find some range in his vocals compared to like the first couple records. And he's probably got more confidence in yeah. his own abilities at this point. Totally. After after two previous albums. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I I do think I don't know if this is like peak uh, James Hetfield vocal. Uh, you know. Like he gets a little more singy, like more melodic in in uh, in the next couple of records, you know, into the Black Album and stuff like that. I think it's around load where he just really leans into the the you know, <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. especially Reload where it starts with "Give me a fuel, give me a fire, give me that which I desire." Oh, you know? <laughs> and you're like, okay, you're getting into Macho Man territory, buddy. <laughs> yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> indeed um okay well so yeah production wise i would i i would say to be fair i i have not listened recently to uh like i said an old uh copy of this album to really know but this remaster uh that i listened to sounded really good in my headphones but you know a modern mix for modern technology modern speakers and that sort of thing so um but it really makes the music really shine mm. and uh and you know Here's the thing, Kirk Hammett on this album uh, is really restrained, except for like a few shining moments where all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck yeah, that guy can play the <laughs> shit out of that guitar. Just let it rip. Like, this is an album that it's kind of funny. When we were listening to um, uh, St. Anger, and I, you know, we talked about watching that movie, some kind of monster and the conflicts that they had in the studio and where Kirk Hammond had to be like, you know, Hey guys, can I play some guitar solos? And oh, they're like, guitar no, solos. no guitar <laughs> solos. And he's that's like, well, that's what I that do. I do. Yeah. Well, here's an album where he's riffing along with James. And by the way, uh, let's give a little bit of recognition to James is not, he, he's no slouch on that, on the, on that rhythm. Right. He's got leads too, right? They're mostly, uh, you know, things that are synced up with what oh, Kirk is doing. But like that right hand and his 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 timing is is phenomenal. <laughs> it's really good, right? Yeah. And I've even seen people who kind of criticize Kirk Hammett for not being able to keep up with James's rhythm. That like he he's so focused on the lead guitar parts that like he'll struggle learning James's riffs because he's not that he doesn't think in those that he thinks in scales and you know arpeggios he doesn't think in 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 rhythm right yeah. but I mean maybe it's studio magic but like when I looked up the live uh performances from this album of the era they seem pretty in sync and I would say that uh that though some of the signature riffage like the just the timing on 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 those is pretty impressive you know, it's good, man. It, that right hand too that that James has, just especially when you get into the really thrashy stuff, battery, and then damage ink on the end of the record. Yeah, yeah. But so here's the thing: damage ink is classic, probably. Damage ink is a song that could have been on Kill 'Em All. You know, I feel like they ended the album with damage ink for any of their fans that like were all around in that era, and then put this album on, and they get to Orion, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, where's the screamy? Where's the thrashy? Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, 
stand it with damage ink and they're like here it is you know well, here's the thing and this is something that i've only picked up on this through this listen was i got some real um like deep purple highway star vibes at the solo in the end of damage ink which i never really realized before and i was like oh yeah this is totally like deep purple you know (laughs) this is amazing dude that okay that damage ink is so uh like meant to be a live song sure right i mean it sounds it, it within the context of this album too it, it kind of stands out as the like but you know don't worry we're still like the kids in the garage sort of thing right mm-hmm. that james yells go go <laughs> <laughs> he yells go and kirk hammett goes oh, <laughs> it's amazing yeah i mean i wonder if uh i think sometimes maybe quinn you do this for me on stage if i look like i'm kind of spacing out and you're you're like it's solo time Solo, you know, just like maybe. Oh yeah, I yell guitar, like guitar. Yeah. You know, just yeah, like, don't live. I'll be like Charlie. <laughs> oh shit! Wait. And then start start I was, going. I was kind of wondering what the dynamic there was between you two, <laughs> uh, in the same sense. Yeah. Let okay. Rip. So yeah, yeah, if I'm if I'm Hetfield and and Charlie is Kirk, uh, yeah, I definitely do that. Sometimes it's you know it's it's about fun. It's about having yeah. fun. Yeah. But you know, it's a little bit of like. You know, like here we go, like you know, and you just give the guy the 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 the. It's like the starting gun at the beginning of the race, right? That's right. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, like boom, off you go. <laughs> the handoff, yeah, yeah, and so it's and it's fun too. It's it's almost like, uh, it, it is part of that live experience, right? Like you you know this from uh, from fronting a band. It's that some of the experience of a live thing is that you you don't always want to look like you're doing it because you're so rehearsed. I mean, that's good. It's good to look polished and tight and stuff like that, but you want to look like you're a band that's communicating and talking mm-hmm. on stage, you know, that, that you're people like to see that interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That like you're, that it's not just, you know, you're not just like staring at charts or your feet or like, you know, yeah. you're actually, you're actually interacting as a band. And so little moments like that, where you can say like, all right, man, like, let her fly, like, you know, like, that, I think that people really respond to that sort of thing, and I love that there's this bat moment on this record, you know, there's a go, (laughs) like, that could have just been, you know, like, maybe that was when they were, when they were doing uh, scratch tracks or something, you know, and they're, because, like, these songs are, are so intricately arranged, they have so many parts, like, eight minute songs that, like, you know, have 15 different parts uh that maybe he left it in there it was a point that it was like okay so this is where your guitar solo is going to be i'll leave a go on the scratch vocal or something like that so you know when to play Mm could have been something as simple as that and maybe they were like fuck that's awesome that's fun just (laughs) go and then all of a sudden like and then i don't know what like uh how many beats per minute that the damage ink is but like holy shit like Kirk Hammett shreds that solo, man. That's it's fast, and it doesn't even like it's you know. There's a little bit of like, um, I guess, almost incidental sweep picking in it because he's moving his pick up and down the strings so fast to pull that off. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's mostly in the left hand, right? Like just him just hitting those notes so accurately, and <laughs> yeah, a lot of hammer-ons and pull-offs and stuff like that, and they're just singing through. It's uh, it's a feat, man. And uh, there's good footage of them playing it live, right? And mm-hmm. and it's definitely a moment where like. You know, yeah, Hetfield does like point at like at Kirk and go, you know, points him to go, and he's like, ooh, just flying. 
<laughs> good stuff. Um, but you know, otherwise, it's like it's honestly, as far as lead guitar parts go, it's fairly restrained as far as solos go. Yeah, yeah, they're not there's like only, all over the place everywhere. Yeah, so it's really interesting that way. You know, it's it's that I think when we were listening to. Um, uh, Saint Anger, and they were trying to recreate some of this like early, just raw energy. You know, like let's go back to like the garage. Let's be like be punk rock or whatever. I think that that's what they maybe were thinking. Or like, oh well, you know, in our like you know peak pure Metallica days, it wasn't always about the guitar solos. It was about the riffage. It was about like you know the being in sync with each other. But I think they missed the mark. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that. It was like, yeah, you definitely had that, and showing a band that's so drivenly like and so in sync is really cool. But uh, let Kirk Hammett play a guitar solo, <laughs> God damn it! Like the man is solo. talented. <laughs> what's what's the best song on this album? Um, hmm, that's tough. I I gotta say, I I so normally you know sometimes these are homework you know yeah. to listen to and it's hard to listen to them but i try my best to at least get two listens through i i no lie i've probably listened to this one at least five times in the last week <laughs> um you know it just it's fun to like put it on and like you know like man i, I feel like going and riding my bike oh after dude dark when the i'll tell you i'll tell you yesterday on. when we were driving i was driving home from band practice i threw this on in the car and it was mm-hmm. so fucking hot and the windows down and metallica blasting this album it was awesome. It was it was like this is a great way to listen to this album. Yeah. yeah. And I think this album is laid out so well. It's really well thought out. So everything really is in its right spot. So I mean, Battery and Master of Puppets, like Battery is is great. It's a perfect beginning to this song. It kind of sets the whole album up. Like I said, it's got that kind of Spanish influenced guitar part at the beginning and then it goes into like pure thrash, you know, like classic like, you know, Metallica and then Master of Puppets is just like um it's a real uh master class in like mm. you know what you could do in this era that when we're not worried about radio playing you're not worried about videos mm-hmm. and you can just like it goes in so many places in fact i would say master puppets in a weird way is like it's this whole album in like one song <laughs> <laughs> right um They're like so- a mini map of the rest of the record yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, the thing that should not be, um, I love that song. it's a great love song. song, totally cool. Um, it's uh, you know, but it's it, it like you know, I would say that Welcome Home Sanitarium, that's another standout song. Absolutely. Um, I think the hook on Sanitarium, uh, even though it's not like overly hooky, but like it. it it's just it's got a sing along quality to it, right? Like if I find myself singing along with any song on the album, it's definitely sanitary. Sanitary, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. That for sure. Um, yeah, I would say Disposable Heroes is a good way to start uh, uh, side two. Side two. Um, it's a long song though, but I, I've got to say, out of all the like longer songs on on this album, which there are a few, it's probably the one that like I kind of you know it doesn't stay with me as much. Yeah, I would yeah. say I would say that. Um, if you take all like the whole track list, um, Disposable Heroes and Leper Messiah were probably my least like, like the lower part of the album. Not that they're bad songs or anything, but I would say that like the first side is all killer. 
And then you start the second side, and these ones maybe I mean they're good, but not as good. But then I mean, you know, yeah, I well I enjoy them. Like they're still good on yeah. the record. But if we're going for like the best, um, I, I would yeah, say I don't know, man. Leopard Messiah, Leopard Messiah, is, Leopard Messiah though it does have a sing song, like a sing along quality to, for me too. Mm-hmm. It's also named after a David Bowie lyric. Is oh, where they yeah. got the idea for the song. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah isn't that from Ziggy Stardust yes it's from Ziggy Stardust yeah it's where yeah they, I guess they were listening to Ziggy Stardust and he was like yeah Leopard Messiah yeah what, what does that mean and then you know started thinking about <laughs> like we said that the, a lot of the theme of this album is manipulation and I think this one's about you know um, maybe televangelists specifically maybe not but like just you know false false prophets preachers people who are you know like the whole theme of what, what's the lyric where it's like uh um, you know, make your contribution and get a better seat. Mm. Um, yeah, like what's that about, right? That's about milking money out of people. <laughs> uh, I think for me, Orion might be the highlight. I you know? really like or, it, I'm a or big at fan. least it stands out for me. I walk away from this album, even today when Charlie first uh, fired up the Zoom, I couldn't help myself. I was just, I was humming Orion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's more of a gentle song as far as Metallica goes. But yeah. in, I think part of that reason that it stands out for me is on this album, it really stands out. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, it, it really shows a lot of the diversity of what they can do. And it never gets overly thrashy at any point in that song, but it still shows off their chops yeah. for sure. Yeah. And it has more of that uh, Spanish influence on it too. This whole album has just got a little touches of like, you know, uh, of like classical guitar uh, influence on it, and I'm not sure if that's Kirk or not, but it, it probably is, right? And then Damage Inc. is just you know if you if you want like what does thrash metal sound like? It sounds like mm-hmm. Damage Inc. <laughs> go out <laughs> with a, a bang. Yeah. yeah, go go out with a bang. So, uh, great album overall. Um, so okay. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else to be said about the album itself. Uh. I don't know if you guys had anything you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet. I don't. I don't think that I had anything else specific. But I mean, let's maybe let's start talking about um, where it is in the context of the albums we've listened to so far for the Rolling Stone. Well, I've got to say that for me, this was a really fun listen. Um, the thing that's been really fun about this list so far is how diverse it's been. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that we've gone from you know like I what what you call it like the birth of 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 alt country Americana folk you know to now we're listening to thrash metal mm. <laughs> yeah you know, we've, quite different we've, we've listened to Taylor Swift you know uh, it's I think that's been what's really been fun about this whole thing so far and this exemplifies that that it's like oh man it's like this list is is very diverse and. And it's really taking us in so many different directions that it's just making me think about like the breadth of, of music, you know, how it, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not any one thing. Right. It's so many things to so many people, to so many artists. Yep. And, uh, the fact that this is in the top 100, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm on board for it, for yep. it, you know? Now, do you think that it deserves its number 97 or do you think it deserves higher? Uh, hmm, I mean, that's knowing a tough this, one. not knowing what is the other 96 albums yet yeah i mean that's a tough one like where where was it the the one that you mentioned it was like 167 or something like that yeah okay so it's jumped up like roughly 100 spots then yeah yeah more or no 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 not 100 75 spots, 
Yeah, 75 slots. Um, <clears throat> you know, if I had found this, if this hadn't been in the top 100 and I found we found it back in the so many whatever, like where it was, I don't think I would have too many qualms with that. Right. I wouldn't be like, what? This deserves to be much, much higher. I think that this isn't a fairly important record as far as music that's consumed by the like the public at large, like the mainstream. Essentially, mm-hmm. I think this is a very you know, yeah, a very cool record because it's a very defining record for you know a certain style of music or genre or whatever. Um, I think that that yeah, this this you know this is what proved there was a taste for this sort of thing with like, you know, young people in, in not just in America, but throughout the world. Right. Like this was the seed that was planted that eventually became the legacy that is Metallica, you know, right. or, and bands that have followed in, in, uh, in their footsteps ever since. Right. I, I agree with the whole, it's defining for the genre very mm. much. So for the genre um, for Metallica, maybe not so much. I feel like there's other albums that might've, I don't know. At least I would have preferred, but I mean, um, I do believe that it should be in that top 100. And I think this is my favorite of the ones we've gone over so far for this type, for the, for this list. Um, it's yeah, it's well-deserved to be where it is. It could be higher in my opinion. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. That's exactly those thoughts are my thoughts. That's what I was going to say. This is my favorite one we've listened to so far and could even maybe been a bit higher, but I mean, we don't really know because who knows what's next, right? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you guys a little bit. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I'd put this above, like, you know, some like, like Lucinda Williams or the band or something like that. Right. I put this way ahead of Taylor Swift, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I what part of that is for me, I think, is a little bit of nostalgia too, right? Like this is an album that I was into, or a band I was into, much, much, much younger, and it's evoking some of that emotion that, like, mm. I from the first time I I heard stuff like this, where I was like, oh man, yeah, it's like it's playing into your memories. It's angry and there's turmoil and it just, you know, that when you're just a young person and you're just so frustrated, you know, and it's like you want to go in your room and slam the door and just like <laughs> tell your parents to go fuck themselves. Like this is the kind of record you put on, right? Yeah, I wasn't doing that with like Lucinda Williams or the band in like, you know, the in when I was a teenager in the 90s, I was doing it with Metallica. Sure. Yeah. So, so there's definitely part of that 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 uh that features into it. But I got to say, yeah, like like Charlie was saying, you know, just driving and listening to this is like oh, fuck it was yeah it's so, so hard cool. not to it's hard not to speed yeah. <laughs> you're just like looking there you're like yeah i could like you're you're like you're like 300 meters back from a red light or a yellow light and you're like i can make I it can make it <laughs> 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 yeah when you're listening to this it made me want to like go like fucking try and you know like uh get on my skateboard and try you know and like drop into a <laughs> to a half pipe it made me want to like it made me want to go fix up my bmx and God, would you I know love to like, see you on this in this in the skate park oh i was like i could get hurt listening to this album because, <laughs> so that's probably part of it uh here's what rolling stone had to say about it what'd they say they said Metallica's third album has a lyrical theme, manipulation. Whoa, maybe that's where I got that from. I don't know. Uh, it deals pretty much with drugs. Singer guitarist James Hetfield said, instead of you controlling what you're taking and doing, it's drugs controlling you. 
It also has a sonic theme, really loud guitars, played fast, with no regard for the hair metal that was then dominating the airwaves. When the band slows down on Welcome Home, Sanitarium, it just emphasizes the unrelenting nature of the rest of the songs. Recorded during three months in Copenhagen, Master of Puppets was bassist Cliff Burton's last album with Metallica. He died in September 1986 when the band's bus crashed. And so they've ranked it at number 97 on the 2020 uh amended list so yeah there you go master puppets it feels like we all i mean it sounds like we all really enjoyed this listen so real compelling radio but like yeah we all are on board for this one no one's like maybe i'll just change my opinion (laughs) too late too late no take backsies so we can fight okay (laughs) so it's more interesting to people they have to hear us be like you don't know you're talking about you poopy head i could sit here and and you know go over the uh great parts about load but i think people don't want to hear that (laughs) that sounds like a load right there it's a load of something load of something okay cool well uh when we do this again the album we're going to be coming back to do is going to be another one out like a total swing in the other direction it's going to be rem's automatic for the people awesome so if you're playing along at home that is the next album on our uh rolling stones 100 greatest albums of all time number 96 rem automatic for the people all right (laughs) Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everything. Uh, if you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash learning to listen. Episodes come out early. They come up with all kinds of bonus stuff. And uh, you can find all kinds of bonus stuff and all that stuff at our patreon.com slash learning to listen. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, uh, you'd really help us out by liking and subscribing anywhere you're a listening to this or uh, B any of our social media. Uh, you can find all of our social media by going to our website. Uh, that website is Charlie. It's L2Lpodcast.com. Right on. And of course, if you really, you know, we're all about listening. This is a listening media Uh we could listen to you. We could listen oh. to you talk. We could listen yeah. to your thoughts, your opinions, your worries, your concerns. Just let us have it. But, uh, you know, why don't you call us? Call us and, and, and tell us yeah. how let you feel. Let us know how you feel. Sad 780-851-8785. Oh, you were actually ready for that one last time. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie, for typing it in the chat. <laughs> God damn it, Charlie. You, you, are the, you are Judas after all. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So, uh, guys, what do you guys got going on that you want to plug? Charlie? Who, me? Charlie Scream. I'm selling T-shirts down at oldmandesign.com. Just pop on down there, get yourself some new shirts. Hey, you know what? I'm wearing a, a Give Them Hellboy shirt right now because it's hot, and I need to wear a, a t- you, you. Here's the let's change it up. Go to GiveThemHellboys.com and buy some Give Them Hellboys merch. How about that? We've got all kinds of shirts that you can't get on oldmandesign.com, but you can get them on GiveThemHellboys.com. Just pop yes. on down. Get yourself some new shirts. Yeah, speaking of speaking of metal, that's our grindcore logo that you can't read because that's it's a right. grindcore logo and a. It was and, so appropriate for is. today's episode. It yeah. was Charlie. Yeah. Wait, how apropos? That's right. I, I was wearing a, an '80s kind of thrash punk uh, t-shirt, so <laughs> yeah. You know. So you know, kind of in the same vein, and uh, 
Naomi's half naked. So <laughs> for all our audio listeners, <laughs> missed out by not guys, watching you, Twitch. You guys missed out totally. All right. Uh, thank you once again for joining us for listening. We really, really, really appreciate you. Uh, like I said, we're going to be doing automatic for the people eventually, but we have some other stuff coming up in the meantime. So you've got time to do your homework. Um, yeah. So I don't know guys. Uh, I guess I'll just got to say goodbye. Now this episode's over. Um, I got to think of a clever way to do it though before I say bye. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Um, Stalling. Hmm. Stalling. I know it's like yeah, it's it, that when you're watching your the progress bar. That's right. On your loading. computer. Loading. Yeah, loading. Loading. That's what my brain feels like right now. But I am two cups of coffee in, so I got a pee. So we should wrap wrap up for a second. That wasn't that clever. That was a terrible one. The music was fun, and then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went, and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade, and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark. But what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and New Jack Swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, Man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out. I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting a move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. Or you can find us on Instagram at dope underscore nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com.